I don't have a good read for you. I know you probably as well as anyone knows you, and I could never guess in advance whether you would like something or not. Welcome to Clocker Counter. I'm Ryan Young, and with me is James Wiseman. So today we're going to talk about judging systems for the future, but first let's get an update from Duke. Okay. I don't know what the curating on the Duke freestyle updates are. So send us some feedback if you think they're really boring or really exciting. <laughs> but I am thrilled because I was out of town the last five days for work. And not only was there a jam every day, the jam had between two and five people every day and closer to four or five than to two. And I didn't <laughs> organize any of it. Normally, when I'm gone, I'm like a mafioso in prison trying to organize the jamming so that it keeps going on without me. But just everything happened. I was having horrible FOMO because there was <laughs> a five-person jam yesterday where a bunch of the s- seniors came out. Heath and Ben both jammed this week. There was two players named Ben <laughs> jamming on the same day. So that's how you know where we're at. And people are playing incredibly well. And then the next update, well, I'll give you two more little tidbits. One, watch out world. Will Ho is going to be the best freestyler in the world. Because <laughs> I've been calling it. Yeah. It's not far away at all. I, it's, <laughs> I am terrified of how good he's going to be. He, <laughs> I think Edo Turi is his floor. Like that, that's, that would be the, like, the worst outcome for Will it sees the current best player, you know, like that's where we're at. It's incredible. But I have a, a little bit of a conundrum, which is interesting. I wonder if you have a thought on it or if anyone listening would have a thought on it, which is we have a new player named Ben who's fired up. So I think we're going to end up, like I mentioned, with probably only one new player this year. But I think we did great because I think we got another diehard. So mm-hmm. one thing that's amazing is every year we've gotten one fanatic, maybe even a little more than that. But Brendan was a fanatic. Will was a fanatic. Ray is a fanatic. Ben, new Ben jammed every single day this week. Just (laughs) there was one day where we went out, we jammed in the pouring rain for two hours. It was freezing. Then I left. And as I was leaving, Ben called for another jam at the gym after dinner. So they played (laughs) twice that day. That's the level of obsessiveness they have. Okay. It's a good sign. When I left, Ben could kind of delay a little bit, but was maybe even regressing on the delay, which is sometimes a thing that happens, which I never really know what to do about. I'm gone for five days. I come back. He's wearing nails suddenly. I don't know where he got them. (laughs) (laughs) He's got nails now and is doing crazy moves. But here's his interesting conundrum, which I've only seen a couple times, which is there are some times where he can delay it to the end of spin, to completion, for lack of better Mm -hmm. words. And there's other times where he can't delay it. And I don't, I've never really seen this problem. I usually describe the delay as something that clicks where you don't really have it. You don't really have it. But essentially once you have a delay to completion, you know how to delay at least in the most basic form. We've talked before about how Mm -hmm. the delay is a skill that you can develop forever and there's always ways to get better at it. But as in terms of just doing a basic delay off of a throw, usually once you have a 45 second delay, you pretty much know how to delay it. <laughs> yeah. But some people, and it's very rare, have a stage where sometimes it's almost like double barrel guidance. Sometimes you can hit it and sometimes you can't. <laughs> and I don't really know what to do about that or how that happens. Do you have any thoughts? Have you seen that before? 
So when I was learning to delay, I had to like learn the center delay separately from going from the rim delay to the center delay. So I wonder mm. if that's the part that's missing. So like once it's past a certain, like it's like off centered, it can't be fixed or like that. This skill is even is missing. more extreme. I can hand it off flat wow, and delay okay. it for a minute and then he'll <laughs> switch to his left hand for the last 20 seconds. And I think, okay, you have it. That was a pure <laughs> delay. And then we'll do the same thing again and suddenly it doesn't work. But and it's going to be a temporary problem. I can't imagine uh, after this week that he'll have any trouble with the delay. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting to see how having taught so many people how to delay, there's still new fact patterns that I've never <laughs> encountered before. But we're we're excited. We're We're almost at a kind of dangerous number of players where more often than not, we have a four-person jam, which is a little bit awkward, where it's hard to know whether to split or all play together. But basically adopting a hybrid model. So today, it was mostly four-person, but for about 10 or 20 minutes, Ben and I played by ourselves so I could just work on his delay. But I think I'll be happiest when we're more in the six to eight range. Hmm. And then that opens up a lot of variety of jam sizes. It's more like you need six to eight and four players have to be at a certain level of competence and then all kinds of opportunities open up, I think. Okay. At one point, you know how we'll take someone aside and workshop with them. When can Will do that? Already. Already. Even today I had a moment where Ben was telling me things like, Will showed me this or Will told me that I should do this. <laughs> Which is kind of how I feel whenever when Will comes up to me and says, well, Ryan told me. I thought, okay, we're, we're at that level. But it, even if you saw Will at Worlds and you think you know, you don't know. It's a whole nother level. And it's sort of what we talked about, about how winning can have different effects on people. And I think, one, he's fired up, so he's playing a lot. But two, there must be almost a confidence thing. And the motto Will and I are both adopting right now is assume everything is easy. And I think that does actually open up a lot of new opportunities as a player because a lot of times, especially someone like me, I kind of learned assuming a certain progression of I should learn this and then I'll work my way to these more difficult things and put difficult in quotes there. Whereas <laughs> someone like Daniel, for instance, did not care. Daniel thought that move is cool. I'm going to be doing double spinning donkey kick in my first three months. And he would. And I think. Will probably originally was taking more from my school of thought, which I don't even think is a school of thought. It's more of a personality trait. But I think now both of us are kind of trying to adopt a different way of thinking and just say, okay, that might be really difficult in theory, but I bet you if I try it for five minutes, I'll learn how to do it. And, and as like we've the, said before, like it's like the weightlifting mentality where if you have any doubt, you won't be able to lift it. You can't. But if you're like, I think I can. Well, I didn't even go further like, with that analogy. Yeah. It's sort of like I'm going to the gym every day and I'm lifting whatever, 150 pounds. But if I want to get better, I have to just put on 170 <laughs> and just try to do it. Now, maybe it's a dangerous and terrible analogy, but I think people know the idea. But if you aren't stretching a little bit, you're stagnating. So it's pretty thrilling. I even, I even did a deep dive into old videos to see of myself to see where will is and one thing it's interesting how few 
videos they are. We are kind of old. So when we first started playing, <laughs> we didn't have video yeah. cameras. And I think he's the best player I've ever seen after two years. And I don't think it's that close. He looks really polished. Yep. Poor Will has to listen to a podcast that's practically about him every day. But it's just <laughs> it's just interesting. But other people are also blossoming. Ray is playing incredibly well. A lot of people came back from the summer a lot better, even though I don't think they played very much, which is more evidence that myelin takes a really long time to grow. <laughs> so even just having a summer of sleep created a lot of improvements for people. So lots of exciting stuff happening. I can't wait for more people to come come visit and see. And actually, this week we have Juliana Corver in town. I'm not sure when the last time she freestyled is, but I'm super excited for her to see the group. And I know everyone here is gearing up. And we're calling them warm-up jams right now as we are getting ready for her visit. <laughs> wow. So that's, oh, wow. that'll be pretty exciting. <laughs> Even this last week, I was gone, but... There, everyone knew there was a big jam on Friday and Heath came out in, a couple days early and told Will, this is my warm-up, my warm-up jam for Friday. I'm just getting ready for it. Wow. So that's the kind yeah. of thing I like to hear. Okay. Unrelated update. We're gonna we're gonna go to a Suns fan recommends update in a second, but I forgot one thing that we need to tell everybody. Ryan, you and I are proud ticket holders for what? The International 2023. And what is the International 2023? <laughs> it's the Dota 2 World Championships, which is a video game we both follow somewhat religiously. And we're going to in person to see it. We've talked about Dota a number of times on this <laughs> podcast. I started playing Dota when I was 11 years old. <laughs> Granted, there was a 15 year break where I didn't know it still existed. It comes up a lot in terms of how we think about our sport and its growth, but it's back in the United States. It's been in other parts of the world the last few years. It's at the Key Arena in Seattle. So if you are perhaps of a different generation and don't understand, this is a huge event. It's going to be a sold out stadium in Seattle just to watch the Dota World Championships. And Ryan, how much did each one of our tickets to the finals cost? Seven was eight hundred dollars. It was end. like eight hundred and seventy dollars. <laughs> it was so expensive. Even despite the fact that we've talked for years about finding a way to go to the Dota World Championship, and we waited very patiently for it to come back to Seattle. When you told me it was that expensive, <laughs> I I definitely hesitated. But I think it's going to be an incredible event and. One thing that I've been doing lately, which I do think is relevant to our sport and freestyle, is I've been listening to a lot of player interviews on podcast where they talk about their sort of life story in the, I'll just call it the esports realm. And there's a lot of parallels to freestyle in terms of the early players are putting a lot of time and work into playing professionally, but there was no money at the beginning. They were really small tournaments. They had lots of organizational issues. They had a lot of the same problems that we have. And then they have since skyrocketed and become much more professional. And I don't know if we know the prize pool yet for the world championship this year, (laughs) but it's been as high as $50 million. So huge stakes for this event. It's a bigger deal than you could possibly realize unless you've heard about Dota before. And the quickest 
version of the story that's worth telling here, which I might have said before in the podcast, and I'm not sure, is that Dota essentially flipped a switch and said, overnight, we're going to go from no money, small stakes, poorly organized tournaments to massive, huge prize pool, professionally produced world championship. And (laughs) they did this kind of with smoke and mirrors, but also obviously money. So one day they just announced they were making a new game, Dota 2, which is the same as the old game, but I won't go into all the details of that. And they said, we're going to bring all the best Dota players in the world. We're going to have a world championship. It's called the International, but it's essentially their world title. And they announced a million dollar prize pool, which now sounds like nothing because (laughs) the prize pools are 20 to 50 times that. But at the time, it it was actually like if you announced a freestyle tournament with a million dollar prize pool. Like I think it pretty much scales in the same way. (laughs) And you can imagine how earth shattering that would be for that community. I mean, again, just put yourself in that shoes. If we announced tomorrow that the world championship would have a million dollar prize pool, how would it change things and what would it mean for us? And how would we prepare differently? And not only that, they did it with only a few months notice, I think. And they didn't even, they hadn't even finished the game yet. I don't know. This is a whole wild, I think you can probably find it on Netflix documentary about it called Free to Play, which is very interesting. Now, obviously Dota has things that we don't have. So even though the tournaments were small and had no money, they had, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of people playing the game. <laughs> so we don't totally, we don't exactly have that. But I do like the idea that you can kind of just decide from now on, here's what we're doing. (laughs) And we've had miniature versions of that in freestyle. I think, for instance, especially in 2013, the introduction of the live stream and doing it so professionally with Jake and Randy made a big impact on the expectations for tournaments. And I do think lots of things are improving. But I like this idea and hope we can apply apply it in the future in freestyle to kind of just say we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard and try to make this something bigger than what it is now. And we're only a few million dollars away. Only a few million dollars away. (laughs) But that's where it kind of scales to our favor because we're probably more like $20,000 away. I mean, if we had (laughs) $20,000 to $50,000 extra dollars to run a world championship, who knows what we could do. So just some things that are that are in my mind and I'm really excited to go to this event with you. It's it's just interesting as a person who is involved in organizing a sport to learn about another sport that developed in the last decade. <laughs> so the, those are the kinds of lessons we should learn. And one other quick aside, I also listened to recently a long interview with Tony Hawk and skateboarding was the same. And he talked a lot about how it was, it's, I mean, it sounded like I was talking. He said, you know, I was embarrassed to tell people at school that I was a skateboarder. <laughs> and even though I was the star skateboarder, I didn't really talk about it because people thought it was weird and there wasn't any money in it. And there was actually a funny moment in the interview where they were like, it's crazy to think that you were the best in the world at something and you couldn't pay the bills. And I just thought, <laughs> I, I sort of know <laughs> what that's like a little bit. <laughs> you can be one of the best freestylers in the world, but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's also good sides and bad sides to that. There's a lot that we've talked about before that's awesome about being a, a small sport that doesn't have stakes. So I'm not totally sure I want our sport to blow up and have billions of dollars in prize money, but... I do think I certainly would push the button to make that happen. And 
I would be happy to have a miniature version of that, you know, in our lifetimes of seeing it have some explosive growth. Mm-hmm. Be exciting. Anyways, last thing, this is the banter section. We really need some feedback. You tell me that people like the banter. So I just trust I you. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Suns fans recommends more stuff. We're stealing from Dota. I hope if anyone finds out that we're calling it Suns fans recommends, it'll be a, a fun joke and people won't be mad at us. Suns fans recommends is where our Dota podcaster Suns fan recommends something totally unrelated to Dota. So in our context, we obviously talk a lot about non-freestyle stuff, so it's not too surprising. But I have a book recommendation. This is like our Oppenheimer (laughs) podcast part two. Killers of the Flower Moon. It's incredible. And it's about to become a Martin Scorsese movie. So I I think it will be in the public consciousness soon. And it's an incredible true story about the Osage tribe in Oklahoma which after being mistreated ended up with a what was considered worthless bit of land in Oklahoma that it turns out had some of the biggest oil reserves in the United States. And this tribe became the wealthiest group of people in the world per capita. And it essentially ruined all of their lives in a lot of very <laughs> tragic and horrible ways, which kind of relates to my some of my fears about if tomorrow Freestyle had a $50 million prize pool. But it's an incredible book. It's it's by the author David Grant, who I think does a great job of telling historical stories that read like first person narratives. It's not a first person narrative. It's not historical fiction, but just the detail and the writing style make it like a thriller. There's a reason it's a Martin Scorsese film. It's, it's <laughs> going to be like it's like watching Goodfellas or The Godfather, but it's a true story and it's completely mind-boggling what happened how it happened and it's occurs in the early 1900s so a lot of it's in the 1920s but it made me think a lot about how the world operated in a (laughs) pre-digital age and it's just it's incredible so highly recommend why didn't you recommend that book to me you have me reading all these like fantasy third body problem and some other fantasy series? That's a good question. So for anyone who doesn't know, you have very specific likes and dislikes. One of your hard (laughs) rules, for instance, is you won't watch TV or movies that has characters that you don't like. So someone is... You can have characters that I don't like, but the other characters in the show or movie have to also dislike them. It's like like a strong moral compass. (laughs) Bad yeah, it's people annoying have to when be treated someone just badly. ruining it for everyone and no one cares. I'm like, that person is the problem. Yeah, but I maybe the way to put it is you, I don't have a good read for you. I know you probably as well as <laughs> anyone knows you and I could never guess in advance whether you would like something or not. Half the time I suggest something, you give me some completely incomprehensible reason that you dislike it. So I'm always a little hesitant, but my guiding light is that you don't read a ton, but you really like, for instance, the Harry Potter books. So (laughs) at least my latest recommendation to you book wise was a fantasy series that it's nothing like Harry Potter, but I figure at least I'm in the same genre. You you always recommend by genre, but I think I care more about like what happens 
<laughs> it's like, are people well, I, smart? That's like the easiest way for me to like something. It's like, is someone smart? I really smart enjoyed your the- review of Three Body Problem, which <laughs> for me doesn't know is a trilogy by a Chinese author that is pretty long, pretty dense science fiction. And shockingly, even though you didn't like the first book or the second book, at least you claim you didn't, you finished all three books and yep. your review was something like, I like the last hundred pages of this 1200 page odyssey and i'm just shocked by that i don't know many people who would get that far only to realize that it's good (laughs) (laughs) the last 10 pages of the first two books were good and the last three quarters of the last book was good if you hadn't recommended it the last book is good that's you you hadn't recommended it so strongly i would have stopped (laughs) like several times I love Three Body From. I actually want to reread it, but I one of the things I struggle with in life is to what degree I reread or rewatch things and to what degree I see new things. <laughs> and I think I err too much on the side of seeing new things because it sounds it sounds appealing and it sounds like the right thing to do. <laughs> I know this is great, great movie, great book. I should read it because I haven't. I've already read that other thing. I shouldn't read it. But I think I'm trying to re-consume things because it's the only way I retain them. I really only deeply know the things that I've watched or read at least Mm -hmm. twice. So it's kind of a waste to read a book and think, oh, I love that book. I can't tell you anything (laughs) about it anymore. Doesn't happiness studies also enforce, say that's the way to do it? Like you told me once where if you go to a restaurant once a week, you should always order your favorite dish there instead of ordering one of everything. Cause it's like long enough that it's good every time. Yes. I only vaguely remember that the details of that. So I don't want to get it wrong, but it was something like it was kind of examining a different problem, which is, I don't know what the right words are, but diminishing utility. So if you eat a chocolate, if you eat a scoop of chocolate ice cream, you get a hundred utility points. If you eat a second one, you get 90. If you eat a third one, maybe you get 50. So it drops off. So that's why some people, when they go to a restaurant every time, they order a different dish. But the happiness studies say, no, if you go to the restaurant a week later, you're back up to full 100% <laughs> utility. So you should just keep getting your favorite thing and you don't need to keep getting lesser things just to try. And I think that definitely accords with how people act. I think most people, they have... When people go to Chipotle, they get the same thing every time. <laughs> yeah. I don't think many people are... We get the same thing from Spicy Talk every time. And there's nothing else one should get at Spicy Talk. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to reconsume a little bit more than I have in the past. So we'll see how that goes. This is why we need to retire because I just don't have time. I just I need more time. I was making my list of things that I really want to focus on yesterday. But each one of them requires essentially a lifetime's work because you know, it's like okay i want to learn piano i want to learn a foreign language i want to keep freestyling and like three or four other things like any one of those things is what i should do every day <laughs> but the problem is i play frisbee two or three hours a day and there's that's my free time so work oof. is the problem work is the problem i worked a lot this week it was it was tough the one nice thing is when i go work in dc I couldn't really freestyle. So that did open up a lot of time. So I watched a bunch of movies, but it's one of my big hobbies right now while I was out. Although I did kind of in honor of Juliana Corver, honestly, I did play in my, excuse me, hotel room 
at least three times <laughs> just to play frisbee and i think it was i think it was worthwhile i learned a couple things so that's always good i do i do want to get better at freestyle i've gotten inspired again i think partially i'm watching will just flourish and i want to keep up i don't want to be i don't want to get boring and especially to him so i want to have more like one thing that i always really liked about in new york is i tried to come in every week with a different thing that i'm working on to keep it fresh Hmm. and that's been really hard to do these first few years at duke because we're just in teaching mode but now that the bandwidth is freeing up that I should just be freestyling for my own sake. Again, I need to get back into learning mode, which I haven't really been in. Like I've been learning things for sure, but I used to always have, you know, 10 or 20 moves that I'm actively working on. And I haven't really had that list in a long time. I'm surprised you still have the drive for that. All my motivation has been used up for I think new it's, moves. It's 90% will related because I think, for instance, we both see the same things or I see something and I try it once and then Will just starts doing it. I think, okay, okay, Will's learning it, so I should probably (laughs) learn it too. Like, for instance, I started doing the, I don't know what you call it, but kind of behind the foot brush. What is that called? What do you call that? Behind the hitch kick? No. No, no, like imagine, you know, Dougie sets you a two-handed downwind set and then Daniel kicks it with the side of his shoe with his right foot coming behind his left foot. There should be an easy name for that. I can't even Uh, imagine what you're describing. It's the most common move in the world. Anyways, doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay. And I probably did it, you know, one or two times just to try it. And then suddenly Brendan can do it. And then suddenly Will (laughs) can do it. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to learn it. I also told this to Will today. I actually, I think, I don't know. I think, and sorry, this sounds whatever the right word is. I'm not trying to take any credit for anything either of for what anyone is doing here. They're all learning it on their own. But I think you obviously benefit from watching me do things the correct way. And then you're modeling what you're doing after me. But yeah. now I am modeling what I'm doing after Will. And it's very helpful. <laughs> so for instance, I think my guidance is getting way better because I'm watching Will hit really nice guidances all the time and I'm sort of internalizing a little bit more what he's doing, which is super <laughs> helpful. That's I mean, it's amazing. Like this is, this is the whole concept of a talent bed, right? If you have lots of people that are getting good at something at the same time, they're all drawing from each other and we're starting to get those kinds of synergies here, which I think is really valuable. Also, Ray is quietly hitting crazy (laughs) stuff, but that's another story. Weren't you talking to me about hotbeds a while ago and like how they're magical? Yeah, there was a book I read about it. I wish I remember what it was called. It wasn't honestly, it wasn't the best book I ever read. So that's probably (laughs) why I don't recommend it or talk about it very much. And I obviously, maybe not obvious to people who don't know me, I have a certain disdain for the concept of talent. Because I, I think one, it leads to a fixed mindset, which we have talked about on this podcast. And two, I think it really should be broken down into a bunch of related things. And it's sometimes <laughs> more helpful to talk about the related things. So, and I think the book had talent in the name, which is partially why I've always been a little bit down on it. <laughs> but it was basically a book about how 
if you look at the history of random things, or let's put it more simply, a lot of times the best players in the world at whatever come from one place and not just one country, but oftentimes one village. And this author, I can't remember if it was the author or he compiled other people's research. I don't remember, but sort of looked into why that happens. And is it more than just a coincidence? And it definitely was more than a coincidence. And (laughs) not only was it the synergy of having lots of people working on the same thing together and pushing each other to get better and better. It was a lot of times really weird, random kind of outliers theory, outliers theories, things where this group had some very particular advantage that compounded over and over again. Like I think, again, I'm not trying to give myself credit here, but obviously this group of Duke students is going to have this huge advantage, which is they had a top freestyler who is solely focused on teaching them how to play for four (laughs) years of their life, which probably no one has ever had. Other people have had the nice circumstance of if you were a player in the eighties, you had the talent hop out of people learning together, but they have that plus a mentor. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to just sound self-congratulatory, but (laughs) I like, I I've often thought in my life or I like the idea of this kind of outliers concept of, these five things are why this person became really good at something. And once you understand that those five things are pretty unique and it kind of demystifies a lot of people's hero narratives of here's why Bill Gates is such a genius. He's like, no, actually he wasn't. He was an ordinary person who was the only 13 year old in the world who had access to a computer. So (laughs) so there are lots of people's stories that you can demystify it and it is no longer about their intrinsic greatness it Mm. becomes about these much more mundane things that just happen to be true for them and i I think there's something encouraging about that i don't know again i just have this quest against talent and the idea of talent i don't like it so much (laughs) that i like it when there's other things that i can point to and yeah so i don't know i'm trying to make clear that i'm not trying to i I'm not trying to feel like, oh, they're so lucky that they have me. I just mean (laughs) that's an unusual circumstance that's driven, frankly, by the desperation of our sport of trying to grow. But it's so powerful and it's going to compound. And I think we're seeing that. I think already we have three or four really good freestylers. And (laughs) that's crazy. (laughs) I mean, Daniel and I are example of this, by the way, too. Like I happen to run into Daniel if that hadn't happened, none of this comes true. I'm probably not even a freestyler. Like the incredible coincidence of meeting someone who would have the same interest and drive to freestyle and finding them at the same time. I mean, it's a one in whatever chance. <laughs> Anyways, okay, that was just the banter section, but we don't <laughs> okay. have that much that much to talk about today. Now, you might be critical that we talk way too much about judging on this podcast or the different concepts of judging, but I think it's because we're interested in changing it, frankly, and it's a good lens for talking about freestyle, but we have two things to talk about. One is we've been playing around with this jam format that we want to implement at the future North Carolina States. And two, to my absolute utter shock, I think there's a chance that some version of our two year cycle of changes to the judging system comes true. So I don't want to break (laughs) any news. I don't know any details yet. I'm not on the FPA. 
but I've been told some information that there's probably going to be a new judging committee to look at making changes to the judging system. And when I was told that, I said, hey, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but Ryan and I are interested (laughs) in having a codified plan to change the judging system frequently. Now, to make anyone who's scared at home feel better, I highly doubt the kind of extreme changes that you and I were talking about will come true in the near future. But it sounds like at the very least, we could be inching closer to a world where people are more comfortable with regular changes to the judging system. Mm -hmm. So then the first topic is, what are the smaller realistic changes that you would like to see implemented for, say, next year? Yep. So I was thinking about what would I do and the big kind of like general. Okay, so I always talked about what are the goals for what we want. And one of the things that comes up a lot is simplicity. The current judging system, I was thinking about it. And I was like, is it more or less complicated than Dominion, the board game, which is like <laughs> your favorite complicated board game? Like when no, you score, you mean Agricola? Dominion's not that crazy. Agricola it, is what you're thinking of. Okay, Agricola. Doesn't Dominion have the thing where like the science points like multiply and add depending on the types and count of each type? Like that's really complicated. <laughs> I don't know what game you're thinking about there. Wingspan guide project the science I play points. Of, okay i play oh science project that's seven wonders that's seven wonders if okay. you want to play a complicated game do i have some more complicated games for you <laughs> okay. seven wonders is a cool game though okay so simplicity so what i would do is the first thing is replace ai with a new category called mastery so i in the past you've been using mastery as a word to like define freestyle a lot. And I really like it. So that's what I would rebrand it as. And we have this problem where because routines, no, because competition is very routine based, we reward a lot of routine based things instead of a lot of freestyle based things. So instead of doing all of those routine based things, we reward Frisbee mastery. And we have this new category that works kind of like grade of execution or uh, was it ice skating, but it's like grade of mastery. So it goes like negative to positive on a scale. Maybe it goes like minus five to five. And like, if you see something that has the perfect amount of master, or it's like, it could not be executed better. You would give it a five in the moment. Like if it was perfect form, the disc is center pulled. There's like no wobble. You don't stutter step. You take the minimal amount of movement and you're perfectly on balance. You would get a five in mastery at that moment that's so so interesting keep going yeah this would encompass all the different ai categories that we currently have like if it's on the music if it has really good form if it has teamwork if we value teamwork anyway and what else is there yeah and like this new like how clean is it like that's not really judged right now we have like the opposite like if you make a mistake you get a deduction but we really don't have like a positive reinforcement for doing something cleanly. And so I love this idea. I'll start with the potential criticisms, but I'm, I've never thought about it like that before. And I really like it, but Mike, I have 
two criticisms, but they're not, they're actually criticisms I don't agree with. But I think one thing that's interesting is I think the people who tend to be against the judging system, both in the new form and the new system and the old system, but I think even a little bit more now are AI people. They're kind of people who think AI isn't mattering enough or counting enough and the wrong kinds of routines are being rewarded which I'm not really in that camp or at the very least, I think I agree with what you told me about that, which is essentially, even if we want to value AI, the concept is so amorphous and unbounded that it's judged randomly and not just subjectively, but randomly or Mm -hmm. it's often a proxy for skill, which is kind of interesting because then it almost starts to be like mastery. So I'm just making that point because I think if Paul Kenny were on this podcast, he would probably be very upset of the idea of getting rid of AI because I think that's the kind of criticism that he would have. So I get that. The other criticism, which I kind of view as a feature, but I'm just making it for the people who would make it if they were here, is mastery is essentially let's give more points to the better players. And here's why that's a tricky thing, because that is right. (laughs) If you're better (laughs) at freestyle, you should be getting more points for being better at freestyle. I think the issue, right, that people have is when they think you're being, they think you're getting points simply because of your reputation, not because of how you're actually playing right now. And sometimes that's true. So I think, for instance, if you are a former top player, who maybe doesn't play very much and is out of shape or injured or whatever. That's a real problem. If you're getting mastery points, say, but you're not actually demonstrating that. But I do think I have a general problem when I'm judging freestyle, which is I tend to think the best players aren't getting rewarded enough. And now that's the kind of thing I can say, because I'm retired. So this is not just in my self interest here, but it's sort of, bothers me that with some exceptions two teams will do the same moves and get basically the same points but one team really did those moves way better and oftentimes Mm -hmm. in ways that are hard to describe it their form night might not even be better for instance but there's something about the way they do it that is a far superior level of execution and i'm trying to think if i'm comfortable with any particular example (laughs) I was going to say your guidus versus Daniel's guidus. Like you can both do the same guidus and have the same amount of time in the air, but I think the mastery score would be different. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I want to come up with a more concrete example because I don't think as many regular players really understand the difference between our guidances. Also, I never guidus, so it wouldn't shock me if people <laughs> have not like even seen me guidus. I'm almost trying to think if I can before after a player like think of a player at one stage and then at another stage i mean i don't know this is unfair but i you could do it with myself i could just say i did almost all the same moves 10 years ago but (laughs) and i would probably and this is probably why i won just as much 10 years ago i was probably getting all the same points for them (laughs) then as i do now but i'm so much better at them now and Again, I don't think it's just form. I think it's every little detail coming together at the same time. 
But I think people are good at recognizing that X factor. They just don't have a way to write it down yet. Absolutely. I think one way of thinking about it is it's a somewhat marginal improvement on maybe 10 metrics, but cumulatively it's really big, but -hmm. it's not rewarded in each individual one. So let's say it's 5% better in form. It's 5% better in difficulty. It's 5% better in execution, but that 5% is margin of error washes out and the judging. But when you actually, if there was a way to put all of it together, then the real difference would show itself. I love the idea of mastery. I do think it would still raise questions for me about whether people are able to judge it. Not because I only put it this way. I do agree with you that people recognize it very well. I think I'm constantly shocked at people's ability to differentiate different skill levels of players, even though they do the same moves or (laughs) even the lower skilled player might even have crazier moves. But people seem to be really good at distinguishing based on skill. So I'm not so much worried about it in that sense, but I am worried about just the problem we see in all kinds of judging where it's just sort of like, yeah, but that's Ed Oturi. So he gets a five in mastery or whatever. You said it was between negative five and five. That's why I picked mm-hmm. five for anyone not paying attention at home. So Ed is almost a bad example because he should get, he should get yeah. a five, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, a fundamental problem is what do you do when a worse team plays better or plays better is not even the right word because it's assuming the conclusion, but it's sort of like make it even simpler. They, a, a worse team goes to drop less and a better team drops it six times. It's basically, especially under the old system, impossible for the better team mm-hmm. to win, but probably objectively they are way better. Like because of the mastery, because of like the mastery baseline is so high and it kind of comes down. This one's a tricky one. But it also is one of my criticisms of the AI camp, not AI in principle, but the AI camp. Because I, I'm an artistic. <laughs> I'm not explaining all my thought process. So let me just work my way through it. One of my problems with the AI camp is I think they misunderstand how lay audiences perceive freestyle, or they have certain assumptions about that that I think are actually wrong. So, for instance, I think one of the AI camps. Views. I'm really talking about Paul Kennedy and Daniel here. <laughs> I'm being honest, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I could be wrong about this, so don't don't get me wrong. I say this all if I got one tattoo, I would say I might be wrong. So this is just me expressing my view, but I'm also trying to make their arguments a little bit for them, and maybe I'm not doing a fair job. But I'm trying to make sure both sides get in here. But I think, for instance, the AI camp would say something like, if a worse team has a dropless round, that's more exciting for lay spectators than watching Arthur Coddington and Dave Lewis have not so good around. And I agree and disagree because there's a part of me that's, (laughs) I almost do the, what freestyle would I rather show somebody test? And a lot of times I'm going to lean towards, look at these players that are the best and maybe (laughs) they have a little bit of a shaky round, but what they do, even if it's in moments is so much beyond what this less skilled team is doing that even though they don't have the dropless factor, I would still rather show the higher skilled players. I agree. So there's a dance like thought about this where, uh, so like there's a, like dancers do pirouettes where where they like spin on one foot and like, let's say one dancer goes out and does six pirouettes, which is really, really hard and then falls out of it at the end. But there's mm-hmm. another dancer that goes out and does a 
double pirouette and ends on balance on like their tippy toe and then like steps out very confidently. Like you would always say the person that did the double cleanly was better. Even though and like I the think, six is like so much harder. It's like, yeah. I get that. I, I'll, I'll just add one counterpoint to the, to my, my beliefs and the example you just said, I don't know how many years ago this was, but there was an Olympics where, and I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before, so sorry if I have, there was a two man race to win the men's ice skating Olympic title or whatever. And it was a Russian and an American. The Russian had, as far as I remember, one or two quadruples. And this was right at the beginning of quadruples. Like no one was really doing quadruple spinning ice skating moves. And the American had only triples. And the Russian had kind of a shaky round and vaguely hit his quads, but they were a little bit shaky. And the American was flawless, but only hit triples. And the Russian won. And I could tell that this is my memory, so this might not be serving me well, but I could tell the American announcers were having trouble explaining to the lay audience (laughs) those quads are that important Mm -hmm. not just in terms of scoring but it is that much harder so and i bring up this example because in my mind when i watched it i was way more impressed with the americans routine and i don't think it was just my home bias or something but here's an interesting difference which is in that case the difference between a quadruple and a triple is you know a whatever however you want to do the math like 20 to 30 percent more spinning and it happened so fast i can barely discern the difference between the two as a lay person so it didn't matter to me that much that one was doing a quad and one was doing a triple but i think when we're talking about in the freestyle context the chasm is actually massive so it's the difference between (laughs) being it would be the difference between one spin and six spins or something so like i think your pirouette example is really good because i think even me just based on what you told me i would be more impressed by the six pirouettes that don't make it out because even I could sort of tell that there's a big difference in skill there. Yeah. And I think there is a narrative arc to it. Mm. That is compelling. What is if you understand the context a little bit and you know that this Mm. other higher skilled player is stretching to do something that almost nobody else can do. It instantly changes how I watch it and makes it better for me. So there is something kind of mixed up in all this. We always talk about how, expectation is everything (laughs) and i think there's almost just an educational job of just telling even freestylers this is that much better and once you understand that it's that much better you perceive it as that much better which i know sounds kind of shaky but that is how the world works we (laughs) judge things based on expectation (laughs) and once we recognize that something's way better it completely transforms our viewing experience yeah that's why baselines are so important i mean i also think it's why i you obviously don't watch any freestyle videos anymore i also really don't watch freestyle videos anymore and it's because i'm so bored by them and i think a lot of that is because freestyle videos are kind of the dropless routine that's the version we put out i i I would if Edo sent me a study tape where he is barely hitting everything and like trying something that he like can't do. I mean, Edo is a bad example because I will watch what Edo does because he is that good. But most like super flowy 
freestyle these days. I'm not that excited by watching it. I obviously like doing it, but I'm not as excited by watching it because I'm not, I want to see people pushing themselves somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I like that mastery. I'm trying to think if there's any other points I want to hit on it. I love it. I'm not even sure it needs to replace AI. Now, one thing you asked, one thing you said that I was curious about, would it be a real time category or an after round category? Meaning it would be do you real judge time. It? So like as you're doing it, you'd be like putting in these grade of executions. So how it works in uh, ice skating is you give a grade of execution after every like move equivalent and they like multiplies against the base value. So it work against this is like it doesn't this is just my how I would build it in the first version. So it's not maybe the best way, but it'd be like whatever diff scores you got around there would be multiplied by your mastery. So if you're doing moves poorly, it's like. Uh, diminishing your diff. Okay. You reminded me of a important rant I need to do. I don't think I've done this yet. We, I didn't explain yet on the podcast. I think what I think everyone's getting wrong about phrasal judging. <laughs> have I done that yet? But how it's not uh, about no, the non-linear. No. Okay. And this is going to come back to your mastery point. So just to remind everybody, we have a phrasal judging system now, phrasal diff judging system, which one thing you said that I want to come back to is whether the entire judging system should be phrasal where basically everything is judged on a phrase <laughs> level. Come back to that. The problem with the phrasal judging system is it introduces a lot of decision-making into the design because if you have a, you basically have two options. If you have phrasal judging off the top of my head or easy options, you have an averaging system where you take all the phrases and you average the score for them, or you have an additive system where you just add all the phrases together. Both have massive problems. If you average all the phrases, let's say I hit 10 tens and then a hundred ones. My <laughs> final diff score is going to be closer to a one than it is to a 10. And that's not really fair because another team that does five tens and, you know, 30 ones <laughs> is going to have a higher difficulty score than me, even though they objectively did less diff. So that's the problem with averaging. It's it's too easy for really weird math to make your score artificially low. Adding has a different but also very obvious problem, which is if you just add every phrase together, I don't even have to do tens. I can just do 200 ones. <laughs> and if I do them fast enough, I will accrue enough points over time that I will win difficulty. So what we do in the current judging system is it is additive but only so many phrases count. So this is what I always famously get up. I'm not even going to try to get it right. Just say there's 14 <laughs> phrases that count in a pair's routine. I, it was that I get it right for once. It's 12. Oh my gosh. How is this possible? <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know why you pick 14. It's such an odd number. I think I over, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, no, last time I said it was 12 and that was, I just keep over correcting. <laughs> okay. I'm like six layers into over corrections. <laughs> okay. Now I think a lot of people, when they hear this, they think it's crazy because they don't understand the math problem of adding phrasal judges and like, why do just 12 phrases count? Why doesn't the rest of what I do count? Now it does count. It's a tale. We've talked about that on other podcasts. I'm not going to talk about it here. But for basic purposes, just your 12 phrases counts. And that number 12 comes from the old time block system where you only had 12 time blocks. So you only get 12 phrases. 
And I'm just now thinking about this today. This is how ice skating works. Ice skating, you only get so many jump opportunities. And I think they probably had the exact same problem that we have. And they figured out that this is the way to do it. So I remember when I first was watching ice skating in the Olympics, I thought this is such a bizarre system that you have to hit a couple jumps here, a couple jumps there. It's so codified. It's so rigid. <laughs> Why do they do it this way? And now that we've spent so many years working with freestyle jetting systems, I understand because <laughs> it's really bad to have an averaging system, but having an adding system is very problematic unless you limit the number of phrases that get compared. So again, the reason you need a fixed number of phrases is if Ryan does six tens and I do 25s, there's a meaningful way to compare our two routines because he would have, or I, I don't even remember who I said had what, but hopefully that makes sense. Okay. One thing I want to explain and then come back to the mastery. I think what is confusing people when they say they are confused by the math and difficulty they're not being confused by the nonlinear multiplier. They are confused because they don't, it's not easy in your head to compare two difficulty scores to some difficulty scores when you're looking at your judging seat because he, this team has 30 phrases, this team has 25 phrases. You don't know by looking at it intuitively which 12 phrases because your brain can't hold in its... You can't hold in your brain the 12 highest phrases here, the 12 highest phrases here, add those together in your brain and then compare them. I think this is fundamentally what is confusing people. Okay. You think that's a reasonable theory? Okay, I'll go with it. Yeah. So for instance, I think this even happens to me where sometimes I'm surprised at my own difficulty score, but then I know how it works and I look at it very closely and I think, okay, look at the top 12 phrases. <laughs> It doesn't matter that this team had four tens and then a bunch of ones because this team had eight nines. And mm -hmm. that's all it comes down to. They have, if you look at their 12 phrases, compare them. Just look at the delta between the two. And that's something that your brain can't do very easily. I mean, it can do it very easily, but it can't do it instantaneously. So it's too difficult for people to know by looking at their individual phrase scores, what the final diff score is. And I don't think that is a problem with the system, but I want to make sure people vaguely understand that because I think if you understand why it's built the way it is and why you might not realize how your total scores are coming together, but if you, if you know the pieces of it, you can make sense of it, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So I like the idea of... I'm torn. There's a a big part of me from simplicity's sake just wants to get rid of all real-time judging and you just watch the round and then you say AI out of 10 execution. I don't even know if we need real-time execution. <laughs> I'm almost okay to be like, how did it feel? <laughs> zero to 10, zero to 10, zero to 10, zero to 10. I'm totally fine with that. If we're going to have phrasal judging in any category, I'm curious. Like, this is the kind of thing I would want to try for two years. I'm curious what it would be like to have phrasal judging across the board. And again, you'd only have the 12 phrases that count and you have a AI score for each phrase. You have a difficulty score for each phrase. You have a form score for each phrase, whatever, whatever the right categories are. But I th think it would be really interesting to see how that would work. Okay. 
there is a way to do it without time blocks or phrases. How which is, that? is you just take the high water marks where let's say someone throws it, does a guide us pull and then does a bunch of, I don't know, just like holding it around and then they set it for a double barrel guide us. So you can separate those two because there's a bunch of like meaningless stuff in the middle and give it two scores that are like whatever a guide us pull is and a double barrel guide us. But then someone else does them together, connected, and you would give that a higher score. So it's like, it's neither a time block because you're not averaging and it's not phrasal because it didn't matter that it was one throw in each case and one got two or like, it doesn't matter that it's phrasal because one situation got two scores and the other one just got one. And the one that got one will probably have a higher score because they're connected. I don't follow because one, our system is kind of like that. You are allowed to separate a long combo into two pieces. But we if make it really... explicitly that now. But you so, just said one person would do one and the other person would do two, which sounds like they had no, to no, decide. In one instance, okay, so like player A, uh, Guidus pulls, does a long break of nothing, and then does the catch. They mm-hmm. get two scores because the break in the middle is like meaningless. So you might as well give... You want to give all of the guidance pull score first, and then you want to give all of the double barrel guidance score next, but it's not connected in any way. So it's not like doing the guidance pull first made it a lot harder. Mm-hmm. But in the case where they go guidance pull directly into a double barrel guidance, that was probably harder. So they should deserve a little bit more diff. That's how it's supposed to work now, but people are just bad at judging that. Yeah, but we can make, I would make it explicit, be like, just always do it this way. Yeah, I mean, I'm in favor of that in theory, but I think that's the thing that it's like how I can't convince people to do point ones and point twos in execution. (laughs) I'm never going to be able to teach people to do that. It's not even that they can't understand it. It's that they can't bring themselves to do it for some crazy reason. That's beyond my (laughs) understanding. But I thought you were going a different direction, which has a lot of appeal to me as well. But first, the current system is a high watermark system in some way. It's just what are your 12 best things that you did? And I actually think one change I would make is to make it less than 12. I think 12 is too many. Yeah. I also would make it less. It probably, which people think is crazy because it's sort of like, why are we playing three minutes? If only six phrases are judges, but actually the way most routines are is only, you know, it's like Paul Kenny calls it the signature co-op. There's really only four or five cool things that happen (laughs) in a routine and everything else serves a different purpose. So, and part of why, for instance, we won co-op is because of the fact that in co-op, 16 phrases count. Like that's really what it comes (laughs) down to. And to the extent, I'm trying to think of how to explain this, but like when people are worried about abusing the judging system, I think that's kind of thing they're worried about. And it's tricky. (sighs) Okay. Let me come back to the high watermark point, but let's just sit on this point for a second. Cause this is something I think also people don't understand it's also related to the phrasal judging thing but 12 phrases is a lot of phrases and it's, it's really hard to get <laughs> yeah it's really hard to have 12 phrases that are actually worth something and that's why we've performed very well Look, we did well in the old system which i only say to say we for the any people who think we created the new system to favor us that is wrong <laughs> we were world champions when we started creating we were reigning world champions and we made the new system with the FBA judging committee or whatever. But uh, 
we responded to how the new system works in a way that I think other people didn't, which is you have to have 12, you have to have more, you have to have 20 difficult phrases, hope you hit 12 of them. And if you do hit 12 of them, you're going to crush the average team, which only has four or five really difficult Mm -hmm. moves. But even for me, I think 12 is so many because I am racing from the beginning of the routine (laughs) to get 12 difficult phrases in. It is exhausting. And I would prefer to have it be eight phrases or whatever. I'd have to think about the right number because you can have a much more relaxed routine that is much more focused on the artistic aspect while still emphasizing skill and difficulty and mastery. And it's actually interesting because I think if you had less phrases, it's almost how the NFL games are more exciting every day than the basketball games. It's yeah. You would know, you could watch the routine and think to yourself, where are there six phrases? Like, oh, here, the announcers could even, you've seen it once, okay, they're about to do their first phrase. Okay, they, <laughs> they didn't do that well in that phrase. Hopefully they can rein it in on the second. Or maybe they have a backup place where they can get that phrase back. I think it would be more exciting to watch. It would allow a wider variety of routines to succeed. It would, I think it would overall be better. So I'm, I'm very interested in that. And I think the reason it was 12 is because it was the old time block system, which had the same problem, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, it had the same problem plus another problem, which is that you had to spread out the 12 in <laughs> equally spaced increments, which made no sense. Um, but the other reason we did it that way, and probably will, it'll be hard to convince people to move to six, eight or 10, 10 doesn't even matter, but like six or eight is because people don't like the idea that half of their combos don't count. But (laughs) if they, if they knew what I knew, they might see it differently than that. Okay. But high watermarks, I brought it, I brought up the phrase thing because the phrase system is a high watermark system. You have 25 phrases in the average routine, but only your 12 best phrases count, which again, that sounds so absurd. The high watermark system, but the high watermark is half of your routine. (laughs) But I also think there's a thing that we've talked about a lot, which is most people when they're judging, high watermarks are all that matters. If you do, or let's put it this way, you could do a couple consecutive under leg pulls into triple barrel guidance and get a nine or 10, or you can do a double spinning barrel guide us pull straight into a double spinning guitosis and get a nine or a 10. So <laughs> it kind of the high points in a combo often average together, wash out. And I wonder if there's a way to just build that into the system. So it's not a flaw in how we judge, but that's just what's expected. It's just sort of judge the most difficult thing and that's it. I see. It's like when something's not consecutive, restart your diff. Yeah. Like putting your score yeah, and restart. It, it, it kind of gets to the idea you were making, which is something similar. Just, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I like the idea. It's just kind of a thought of... Because one idea we've played with just in terms of judging psychology or lay psychology or why sometimes the judges come out differently than the audience is... There's some biases we know about. We know there's a primacy bias where you're very influenced by how the routine starts out. Does it go well? Does it go poorly? 
there's a recency bias, how a routine ends has a big impact on how people view it and remember it. But I wonder, and I'm sure there's literature on this, there's probably another bias, which is sort of like high mark bias. If you, the number of times where someone's complaining to me about how the results came out and they're just like, but this team did this thing. And I'm like, okay, that's one thing. <laughs> but there's all these other things that are a factor too. Like I think a big mismatch between expectations and judging results is one team has a really low floor, but the other team has a higher ceiling, but the low floor team often wins. So if you go out there and you hit all, if the minimum difficulty you have is a six or seven, it's almost impossible to beat you. Whereas the team that had a few nines and tens probably won't win if everything else is a two or three. Is that right in your experience? Hmm. With the nonlinear diff, it, it's kind of, I'd have to see it. Depends. Yeah. Like the nine and 10 is so valuable. Agreed. But, so, and that's sort of the point of the nonlinear diff to recognize that. But that's where I find, I don't know what to call it, but that's where I find more disagreement about disagreement among judges, disagreement about general impression and disagreement between what judges think the score should be and what they actually are arises. It's sort of, I'm focused on these three things that were amazing. And that's why I thought that routine was so good, but my score doesn't reflect that because this other team had eight things that were (laughs) 85% as good. Mm -hmm. And how do we judge three incredible things against eight really, really, really good things. That's where reducing the phrases that count would make, maybe that would make your expectation match the routine better or the, and again, Results. and yeah. this gets lost all the time, and I'm going to keep making this point. We're all playing by the same rules. So as long as everybody knows what they are, it's fine. So it would be unfair after the fact to say, oh, it was a 12-phrase <laughs> judging system, but your three phrases were better, so you win. That's ridiculous. But if we all know, hey, you get six phrases, make the most of them, then it's fair. That part is so lost. I think it's an, it's a sign of a fixed mindset if you don't understand that we all play by the same rules, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's how do you respond to the judging system that you're given? And everybody was supposed to know because we told them a million times that you're in fact, if any, if there's any criticism is that I often said 14 phrases because (laughs) I am a fool, but just your 12 phrases matter. Okay. We're rambling. What other, were there any other, kind of a first of all that's not a good immediate future suggestion your mastery suggestion because i don't think mastery is going to be introduced in a year's it time could be. it could i be. guess it could be heck if i'm on the judging committee i'll bring it up any <laughs> other any other ones we won't spend 30 minutes on each one but any other okay. ideas this one's more minor but i would make difficulty just like three categories and like the category boundaries change depending on the division so like in open pairs it'd be like zero to guide us i'll go no i'd be like zero the first category would start at guide us so like anything that's easier than a guide us you just like don't even get diff for so then guide us to like double barrel would be the first bucket and then like double barrel to double barrel guide us would be the second bucket and then the third bucket's like anything harder than double barrel guide us and like the words of the moves would just be on the buttons and they would change like depending on what division you're and so you're just counting moves oh i see that's interesting 
I've thought of a variation of this, which is basically you can give it a one or two or a three. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I've thought about it a lot and there's, I think I'd have to see it play out, which brings me another point about everything, which is remember that sometimes things are empirical questions, which is that (laughs) we can't know for sure how it will work until we try it. So for me, it's, it's empirical because I don't know how people will judge and how it will play out because I'll give a weird analogy. So in the law school world, there's kind of a debate among top law schools about what's the best way to do grades. And some law schools do pass fail. Some do standard grades. My law school just had standard grades F through A. Some law schools do high pass, low pass, fail. They have a variety of mechanisms. And what's interesting is that, for instance, the high pass, low pass, fail system, which is basically a one, two, three system, was touted as being a less stressful system for students. But it turns out it was way more stressful for students and professors because the stakes at the margin were so high. (laughs) So the gap, the difference between being a low pass and a high pass was huge. So if you think about a numbered grading system, like zero to a hundred, it's not such a big deal if you give them a 96 or 97 or 71 or 74, but it's a huge difference between pass and fail. It's a huge (laughs) difference between low pass, high pass and fail. So one concern with the one, two, three system is things on the border. It really matters whether you give it a two or a three. And I also worry, especially if we're in kind of a phrase based system that too many teams, all teams have eight, six, eight threes, and you can't really distinguish them. It just comes down to mastery at that point. But I like the idea because it's, it's way, it's way simpler. Um, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, even there's even a middle ground, which is something like five. I was listening to one of my movie podcasts and they were talking about how the five star rating is the perfect system. (laughs) They're like four is too few. 10 is too many. Just five. Wait, seven. I always thought seven was the perfect one where you have like a little bit, a medium and a high on each side of the middle. I think one thing that's nice about the five is people are very comfortable giving three stars. That's like, (laughs) that's a good that's a good average movie, three-star movie, three-star hotel. But people are way less comfortable giving, I don't know, other kinds of scores. It's just interesting. Okay, so I like that one. What else you got? I think that would be that'd be it. I was thinking about some variety changes, but it's variety not that important. Variety is the never-ending okay, disaster. It would be like a bingo card. And what the things on the bingo card would change depending on division. So like... In open pairs have like double spinning things on there and you could do it like clock encounter. You could like check it off each box well, the twice. The problem is we had a checkbox once and it was a disaster in terms of time. But and this would be done in real time and there'll be like six things in there instead of that checklist had like 20 items, which was hard. Well, there's one interesting aspect. I didn't mean to put it that way. There's one aspect of that, that I am interested in, which is if you had a random a randomized five variety checklist. Oh, it started. Oh, so there's like 50 options, but like at the round when it starts, it like solidifies the five that matter. 
Yeah. So it kind of achieves the same purpose, which is it incentivizes you to build a routine with variety, but it's simple to judge because you just check off, did they do these five things? Now, maybe obviously there's a risk that you, you did a routine with 45 of the 50 and you got really unlucky and it was the five <laughs> things you didn't choose to do that were in variety. Variety is so tricky. So on the one hand, I think I was a big proponent of variety because I care a lot about it in terms of who are the best freestylers. And that's something I value. But A, it's not obvious that variety should matter. For instance, it doesn't matter to a lay audience. It doesn't. A routine is <laughs> yeah. not more exciting because it has variety in it. It's a huge pain to judge. It's conceptually complicated how to reward variety, meaning it's... Is it a checkbox approach or is it self-combination of, as it is now, the quantitative variety and the qualitative variety? It's super complicated. And although I do think the current variety system actually works pretty well and isn't taking too long to do, it's still a lot of work and brain power for something that is not obviously important. It uses the whole judge, like in their full attention. And again, I'm a huge believer in variety as a concept, but it does it's not it's not obvious to me that every routine should have to have brushes, kicks, rolls, guides, <laughs> tips, you know. Like one thing I don't like about routines is we're playing to music and most art has certain amount of structure and symmetry and themes, but the judging system rewards absolute anarchic chaos just do (laughs) as much different things as possible it's sort of like how when i make a study tape one thing i do wrong i think is i basically want to have a wide variety of all my different skills in it and who cares i have those skills (laughs) i can make 10 videos each one on a different subject and i do do that i have themed videos i think more than most people i'm very obsessed with themes and symmetry. And maybe that's why I'm concerned about variety in the routine based context of, I, I don't like it when I have good ideas for routine, but we've already done a bunch of rolls or kicks or whatever. And now we have to do something different just because (laughs) it's worth points. I don't know. So I'm torn about variety as a concept. With the two year cycle, we can just have a low variety year. That's fine. Just, yeah. just get rid of a variety for two years. It's it's the mastery year. Let year me put one other random way of putting it. I think my concern about variety, I think I sort of said this, but to say it clearer is variety has very little impact on how I perceive a routine. It's It only matters because we quantify it and make it matter. But if you showed me three routines, I would never say, but, oh man, that routine, variety... The variety was so good. Um, it's usually that was really musical, or that was really difficult, or that was well executed. Every other category I might have a comment on, but I'd never watch three routines and be like, you know what jumped out to me about that? Variety. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. I don't I don't remember a lot of what I wanted or pushed for or voted for when I was on the judging committee. But I'd be really curious if you know, like Thomas Nutsy listens and is like, I can't believe James is saying this. I thought he was obsessed <laughs> with right. Anyways, it's uh, 
your view on judging has come so far. It's like (laughs) you're like a a second grader when we were doing that. I mean, now you're like in high school. That's that's so (laughs) that's so nice of you, Ryan. (laughs) So did you just feel like you were in a room full of fools when we were doing that? These people don't understand any of this. I was like, this is really hard and this is the first time we're doing it. So we're going to just like paint with our hands first. But now I feel your frustration because when people are talking about the judging system, I just can't (laughs) convey to them how much they're not seeing. And I think like how you just put it, it's not because we're some great geniuses because we suffered through the process and you learn so many things you would never think of until you do it. It's a really hard problem to solve. And most sports haven't solved it. Most freestyle sports are constantly tinkering with it and no one's got it right. I mean, ice skating is so regimented because it's the only way they could solve these problems. Basically. I don't think I talked about this on the podcast yet, but I follow sports climbing, which is like rock climbing indoors. And mm-hmm. every year the world championship scoring system is wildly different. Like mm. sometimes it's just like who gets more holds, who touches the highest hold this year. It was like points, like every hold had points on it. And it was like, like a video game. Like as you climb up the wall, like their score would go up. And I was like, that's so cool. I like that. Yeah. But they're okay. like doing the right thing where they're like exploring like every year we're just going to have a crazy thing. And if it works, we'll keep it. Okay. I think we should move to the jam format. But one last thing I would like to change, and I would be very surprised if it doesn't change, the catch percentage reduction is not working. I would just get rid of X. (laughs) Well, that is interesting. X has been a non-factor, essentially, at Worlds. And there's parts of that I like, and there's parts of that I don't like. I do think expectation plays a huge role in that. So I, (laughs) I think already watching routines now execution hurts way less and i think people are adjusting to that so now when you see a routine drop at 10 times it doesn't feel bad or does it feel nearly as bad as it on the old system three (laughs) drops was catastrophic and people perceived it as catastrophic and so now i think that's changing where people can see a routine with a lot of drops and not it's just how you can watch baseball players strike out almost every time and it's not it's not weird but there is part of me, and maybe it's because I'm from the old system where it feels like a little bit too far. So I'd almost bump execution up to matter more. But I do think I the catch. Say, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say mastery would cover that, like negative mastery. Fair. But some, but you know, a lot of the examples we gave, though, were where you have higher mastery but worse execution. And the point of mastery to some degree is to account for that. But the catch percentage thing, I think doesn't work unrelated to its effect on the overall value of execution. It's just, it didn't really work the way it was intended to work because it was too easy to game. And I, maybe I'd put it in the category of it's not something that we perceive or pick up on, but it has a lot of value. So if we don't perceive it, but it has a lot of value, it's probably not a good part of the judging system. If that makes sense. That makes sense. It's like, it missed the goal we were trying to accomplish. So we'll just replace it in the next iteration. In fairness, part of this is people not responding to it correctly. So as I think I said at the world's judging education 
meeting, it's not that hard to get to whatever it is, 25 phrases and max it out. And Mm -hmm. in a world where freestyle were actually really competitive and professional, every single team would have maxed it out. And (laughs) it wouldn't have been, it would have been a judging category. That was just a policy implementation. It would be the same thing as just having a minimum phrase requirement of 25 and just it would have been basically saying we want people to have, we require speed flow and we require short phrases. But the problem is people didn't really respond to it properly. <laughs> Some teams went way over the top and had 50 phrases that they weren't getting credit for. And then a crazy number of teams only had 18 phrases and got really hurt by that. So, so it kind of had a couple problems. One, the max was, was a good thing and a bad thing. The 25 phrase max was good because it didn't lead to crazy abuse, but it was also bad because it made it more meaningless of like, well, this team did have twice as many phrases, but execution still counted against them the same. (laughs) The only uh, alternative I have, I don't think I'm going to push for this or anyone would want this, but I think what we were really going for was something that was more like diff. So like maybe execution should scale with diff instead of phrases because it's hard to cheat. So the idea would essentially be, and it wouldn't be hard to implement. It's just a technical implementation. You would just have a diff multiplier that applied to X. So if you had a higher diff score, X would count less. And if you had a lower diff score, X would count more. Yeah, none of the judges would have to change anything. Like it would just calculate different. The problem is I like stuff like that, but that's the kind of stuff that people seem to be bothered by because they're like, we don't understand what the computer's doing. And to that, I say, you never understood what the computer was doing. None of you were ever (laughs) pulling out a calculator to figure out how the scores worked under the old system. But because we say the computer does it and it involves math, you are going to pretend not to understand it. That's me complaining, but it wouldn't be hard to do. And I think it would be cool and it would better reflect the policy we cared about, which was if you do a bunch of simple stuff and you drop it, that's really bad. <laughs> if you do a bunch of really hard stuff and drop it, that's to be expected. And it doesn't. And I think it fits with what we perceive when people go for speed flow and throw it and they try to catch it under the leg and they drop it. That really <laughs> hurts. But if I see you go for a quadruple spinning barrel guide as pull and you drop it, I'm kind of like, wow, I can't believe they went for that. But I'm not shocked they dropped it. It would also encourage good behavior or behavior we like. So you would know that you could put in more difficult stuff and you wouldn't have to make the same kind of difficult execution versus difficulty cost benefit analysis. You could say this is harder but it's worth it because even if I drop it, I'm not going to be that penalized for the drop. I won't get the diff points, but I'm not going to be hurt for trying something hard. That's why I like the idea. But again, I don't know if that will be very popular. I like it because the incentives are all in the right direction. They all like face the same way. Yeah, the only world we have to care about or worry about because the history of the world is correction over correction. I think I've brought it up before. It sounds really snobbish, but the Hegelian dialectic, you have a thesis, then you have antithesis, and then you have synthesis. So we had one system that was all about phrase, as many phrases as possible, as much content as possible. If we go too far in the other direction, we'll have different problems, which is if it's only six phrases and diff doesn't really matter, you'll have the situation where this team hits six great phrases, 
and then bombed the rest of the routine <laughs> and still wins because that's all that really mattered. So we have to find some some balance to it. But also just for you, Ryan. Spot, yeah. My oh, face is so itchy right now. That's why I'm just like rubbing <laughs> my face constantly, just so you're not panicking over there. I, I didn't adopt, I didn't obtain some new drug habit habit. I just think I got the itchies for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the sweet spot, that's why we want to change it. We'll slowly mm-hmm. find new sweet spots. And then when we do find it, we'll change it anyways. Yep. It's like you have to go to the extreme to find the sweet spot, or it's easier to find the sweet spot after you go to the extreme. Exactly. Okay. Is there any other thing that's really not working very well under the new system that would change? I still am kind of okay with everything else for the most part. I would Do you have any other? I would get rid of the general impression or get rid of general impression. Really? I think it just reinforces what already happened with all the other categories. So it's it's like time after the round that everyone has to wait for to judges putting in this is redundant i mean a year ago i was probably all in on just general impression and now i'm more down on it just because of experiences i've had that i've talked about before so i won't go into it again the one thing that general impression still does that i like is it's kind of a benchmark of is there anything really crazy going on with the scores so if the scores roughly match general impression then there's nothing really controversial about them. But if there's a big mismatch between general impression and everything else, then that's something we can look closer at. Now, of course, in general, sorry to use the same word, general impression and all the other scores correlate. And so you might think, well, why don't we just use general impression? That was my original belief that we would have (laughs) moved towards the general impression only. But one, I've seen where that doesn't work very well. And two, I do think there's an element of general impression scores are heavily correlated to judging scores because the judges judge everything and then are asked (laughs) to put in a general impression score. So they're heavily weighted towards what they judged and not surprisingly, the judges in each category tend to have similar scores, but not necessarily similar to each other. So people are clearly, let me put that more clearly. Difficulty judges have similar general impression scores. AI judges have similar general impression scores, etc. But they don't necessarily all have the same judging scores. So whatever you judged and however that category went will heavily influence your general impression scores. So there's a little bit of redundancy in them. So I don't know what to do about general impression, but that one's hard to get rid of because it it's politically, it sounds bad. You know what I mean? You can just say these other metrics have so accurate that we don't need this redundancy anymore. I agree, but it's it's the equivalent of, you know, cutting funding to kindergarten. It just it's just people even if it's the right thing to do for some reason, it just doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's to like getting like, rid of the TSA, TSA at the airport. Yeah, exactly. Like even if you have all the evidence in the world that they don't do anything, it's too upsetting conceptually <laughs> to just say we're no, we're getting rid of all of our security. Cognitive dissonance too in there. Okay, last topic. I don't know how much we have to say about it yet, but we have a jam format for NC States that we want to do. So why don't you start us off? This is your idea. You should you should describe okay. it. Yeah. All right. As if I don't talk enough already. So as we talked about last time, I'm really down on routine-based judging or routine-based competition system. So I was trying to think of a jam format that would work. And there are some things I've seen done before that I really like. So I really like the beach dollar system 
where you're jamming all weekend and then people basically vote on awards. That's a cool system. I think that'll always be part of North Carolina States, no matter what, because the <laughs> awards are fun. But I wanted something a little more codified than that. So the current framework that I have, and I haven't necessarily figured out the judging part of this yet, but let's say you have 50 players at the tournament. You split everyone into five groups and they're seated. So each group has a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, a four seed, a five seed. So you have the best players and the worst players in each pool. These five person teams will go out and they will jam for, let's say, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't know the right time. Yeah, you'll probably say it should be two minutes, but I'm okay (laughs) with it being a 10 or 15 minute jam. And at the end of each round, a certain number of people get cut. So maybe the bottom two players in each five person pool gets cut. And then we have a six person jam. We cut that in half. Then we have a whatever. I'd have to figure out the math to like kind of make the pools each round the right size. But essentially you start out with 55, 10 five person teams. You cut that down in half. You cut that down in half. And eventually you're left with just one five person jam. One version also, which I think is the version I'm leaning towards, the last five players, they're the winners. That's it. You made <laughs> it to the last jam. You are it's a victory the champion. Lap. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's a victory lap. And that's consistent with current tournaments. Right now we mint, you know, like nine world champions a year, whatever the number is. So this would just be five. And maybe there's an MVP vote, but it's not, they don't get necessarily, you know, they're not the only ones getting first. Mm-hmm. So five people get first, but there's one MVP. And here's the things that I like about this. One, I like how good players and bad players get to play together. So there's the first round, especially there will be a five seed and a one seed in the same pool jamming together. So I like that aspect Two, It's all randomized. So there's no routines. You can't really prep for this. You just have to play with the five people in your pool. Three, we're going to have to figure out the judging, but the judging is basically going to be the things that we care about in freestyle. It's not just about how cool the stuff you do is. A big component, for instance, will be setting. How do you elevate the players around you? How versatile are you? How is your improvisation? How is your ability to deal with difficult situations? It's also a nice format because conditions don't matter. It doesn't matter if the wind is terrible (laughs) because everyone is playing at the same, everyone you are competing against is playing at the same time as you. So if you think about the first round where there's a couple groups of five, you're not competing with those other groups. You're only (laughs) competing against the five people in your group. So if you all have terrible wind, that's fine. Quick aside, we were playing today and the wind was kind of bad and I was calling out the lulls. I was like, there's a lull, like (laughs) hit a big move right now. So that's the only degree there'd be any variance among the players. But also that's something the judges could more easily take into account. It's awkward to take it into account under routine based system to be like, this team was way worse, but their wind was terrible. So let's give them more points. That doesn't really work very well. But in the jam context, that's totally valid to be like, hey, when they went for that move, that wind was terrible. That's not really their fault, but they responded to it appropriately. And that's a jam skill that we want to reward here. So that's really the gist of it. I think there's other questions, for instance, it's probably going to be random music, but maybe you have to figure, I don't know, you probably have to figure out a good way to do that. But as again, none of 
all the things that are kind of unfair are solved because you're all playing at the same time. If the song is terrible, you're all playing to it. So it's not such a big deal. Um, and again, the kind of point of the format is how do you deal with it? How do you deal with everything? And that is really how we determine who, who moves on. And I think in some ways too, it. I don't think how to put this. It solves one problem that I don't like about, it solves a bunch of problems I don't like about routine-based systems, but some other like less obvious points are you do have a lot more time in some ways. There's five people and let's see, even if it's 10 minutes, but you can kind of ease, ease into it. You can show more stuff. You can do more variety. <laughs> You're not just fishing for points. Things that we all really care about that aren't rewarded in the new judging system matter. You doing that perfect set to somebody matters you improvising matters you having varied solutions to different problems matters your ability to play with less skilled players matter your ability to play with more skilled players matter it's just closer to what freestyle is in nature and that's sort of the the point of it your thoughts Mm -hmm. i like it a lot so i'm gonna add one more thing you can have an on-field announcer in this format because right now you can't just have someone shouting over your routine music, but you have the, we like put our events in the middle of people, but the people just walk by, but it doesn't matter what the event is. If someone is just yelling over a loudspeaker that something exciting is happening, people will stop because we're humans and we like when people are yelling at things really excitedly, it doesn't matter what the content is and it allows for that more things it solves you don't have to travel around the world just to practice with people (laughs) it just i just love this idea i can't even believe we didn't come up with this a long time ago it just is so much closer to freestyle but i i also think weirdly the best players will win you know (laughs) and i think that's a good thing the best players will win. There's just not going to be very many flukes. Now, I guess the main thing that could go wrong, but this is where this is the kind of theme of the day, but I'm not sure this is wrong is how often do people get through just because it's them. That is a concern for sure. Like how bad could Matt Gothier play? And just no no matter what, he's going to make it to the next round, (laughs) but that might be, that's either a feature or a bug. I don't know. It also but, incentivizes your pull the goalie what mechanic where if you start the first two minutes poorly, you just go bigger and bigger to try and compensate. And But let's also be clear for anyone who didn't catch this, you are heavily rewarded for how you elevate others, how you set, for instance. So mm-hmm. this is not going to be a five-person trading indie situation. It's supposed <laughs> to be a true mob-up idol situation. So I think that's really valuable. Also, by the way, on the one hand, look, I tend to not think it's a problem that the best players win. Not everyone agrees with me on that. But from a not best player perspective, I think this format is way better because one, you get to play with the best players. You are guaranteed to get to play with the best players in the world championships, let's say, because that's how the system works. So if I were a new player, I would be much more incentivized to get to jam. Let's take me in 2009, first month of playing. If you told me I could go to Worlds and be in a jam with Matt Gothier, I would have been thrilled to do that. Was I thrilled to stand out there for three minutes and try to come up with 
you know, how to, how many ways can I do my three moves <laughs> and cover this immense period of time? It's miserable. I'm so impressed with new players who go out and compete when they are killing time because they don't have enough moves. I think that's takes a lot of courage, but in my system, you're good because <laughs> Matt Gothier is going to set you up to succeed and you're going to play better than you ever played in your life. And it's just going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Also, all the things you teach in the Duke method transfer directly into this competition format. I think everything that matters in freestyle transfers, there's nothing. It makes everything you learn matter. It's sort of, it, it also incentivizes things that people should be learning, but don't. It's sort of like, hey, guess what? You know how to do better in this? Get a good downwind drag set. <laughs> Just, there'd be so many ways you could succeed. So we're going to introduce this at the North Carolina States. I want it to be the premier event. There'll probably be other kinds of events. Like we want to be experimenting in North Carolina States. So there'll be other categories, I think. But the premier event, I want to be this jam format. And my question is, if it were successful and people liked it, how long would it be before it would become the world championship event? The next two year cycle, hopefully. That's fascinating because we didn't really talk about that. We really talked about changing the judging system quickly. I guess we sort of hinted at it, but could you just totally change? I think people would be so outraged and it just kills me that that's where we are, <laughs> that people wouldn't even consider it. But I think people would just like it. Isn't it crazy that we've done just routine-based tournaments for 50 years? <laughs> that You're the crazy. only one besides, I guess, Seaside and Beach Dollars that I've ever heard of that didn't do a routine-based system. Even hat tournaments are routine-based systems. And then, I, okay, <laughs> battle is fine. But that's like that's different because it's one-on-one. -on -one. There's no other way to do it, really. I guess you could do routines. Footbag does routines, for instance. But... The dearth of competitive formats is shocking. And it's shocking that a routine system that is so divergent from freestyle is the dominant form. Yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about what it would take to get me to compete again. And so far, I only have one answer, which is if Matt Gothier wanted to play with me, I would come out of retirement just for that. But otherwise, there's basically nothing that would make me compete in a routine. I thought if system. we got to the Olympics, you would compete. Yeah, yeah, sure. But let's be realistic here. <laughs> oh, okay. um, although, which is, more, yeah, I was to say, which is more realistic <laughs> in the end. Uh but boy, I would be tempted if there was the jam format just because I think it would be fun. Yeah. I mean, that's what kills me, right? It would be fun. That's mm -hmm. why I would want to do it. Because I was talking to my coworkers about it because they were asking about worlds and the ranking system and whatnot. And I told them, and I hate this because it is a really fixed mindset. They were saying, oh, like, won't you want to just compete randomly? I was like, I would, except I have so many ranking points. I'm like smog <laughs> on a pile of gold. I don't want to risk them. It's not, it's not worth the trouble. I mean, all I can do is go down, but I would, I would just, I would voluntarily throw them away just so I would be, I wouldn't have to worry about it. It's like when you get a new car, if you just scratch it in day one, just so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I would just tell you, Ryan, I would just be like, just dismiss my points. So I feel good again. And then I'm just going to go compete just because I want to, jam like this i just think i think everyone would compete i don't think there would ever be a tournament where someone 
chose not to compete, it would mm-hmm. just be like, why wouldn't you want to jam right now? Is that the new game plus equivalent of freestyle? Interesting. Why do you think of it that way? I don't know. It's kind of like I was thinking more along lines of if there was a way we could create a second James Wiseman in the rankings so you could start at zero again. I know. I thought about that, too, but it breaks the whole. Yeah, it doesn't work mathematically. (laughs) It's also worse for everyone else. By the way, this is this is the side that I don't like about freestyle. I don't like this either. Okay, I'm not proud of what I'm about to say. I've been telling you that there's a problem with the ranking system at Worlds because it's random how the turn how so okay so that we've talked about the ELO system you're basically stealing points it works perfectly well when things are sequential you won that tournament last week I won the tournament this week but when all the rounds are on the same day there could be situations where it matters what order the rounds occur in for your ELO system and I want to change it one day so that it doesn't matter what order you do it in We've talked about how this is a theoretical problem, like something extreme would have to happen for it to actually matter the order of the rounds. But I think something extreme did happen at Worlds and it could have gone a really good way for me or a really bad way for me. And now I'm wondering if I did this in my head right. So Will got second in pairs Mm -hmm. first, got a bunch of points and then one co-op with you and me. If you switched the order of those two rounds, I would have gotten way more points because I we would have won with Will. So Will would have gotten a ton of points on our team and he would have given us more points because he would have been a zero in points on our team. And then I would have beaten him in the next round when he had <laughs> a bunch of points and gotten points back from him. So the I would have deltas gotten, are too small. Yeah, it's like you're talking about one are. or two points. They probably are, but I just <laughs> was just thinking about it because I'm obsessed with that problem for some reason. And you just keep telling me it doesn't matter. But I was like, Will is kind of an extreme example. Anyways, I hope if people listen to this, they will be fired up by the jam format. I think it would be so cool. And I hope it works. I guess one random problem is, you know, right now we can have a 15 person tournament pretty easily, but it'd be a little bit harder in the jam format everyone would get first second or third but hey then we're just in our one two three system <laughs> okay there is Any a w- yeah yeah go ahead oh no say there is a way to make it so everyone gets it individual you just like put all the cut people into groups and have them order themselves there's ways that's we can true. figure it you, out that's true you could do i, I always call, call them those. Your, like consolation rounds is what yeah, i always call them as a kid that's it. Yeah. It's kind of a weird name because it's it doesn't actually make sense. It's not <laughs> it's not a consolation, really. It's just a game to determine the not first place team ranks. But I know in Dota it's, it's a, called the losers bracket, which just sounds even worse. Yeah, but at least it makes sense. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, you could have a consolation round. The only problem with the consolation round in this context is it would be a little bit of a dark round to have all the worst players doing the five person mob bob mm-hmm. depends on the floor level of skill but i can imagine tournaments where that would be a pretty brutal brutal round but whatever doesn't really matter okay anything else on that format nope i think that was good does it ever cease to amaze you how 
I can turn whatever topic you give me into an hour and 50 minutes. That's the expected outcome. <laughs> okay. Is it a strength or a weakness? It's we're using it as a strength right now. Let me go a hair longer. So <laughs> okay. I was in the office this week in DC and just talking with lawyers all day, working with lawyers all day in the office. I am more like you and less like me. And I'm listening to the me's talk and I'm just like, when are they going to stop talking? (laughs) (laughs) I understood their point three minutes ago and they're still making it. But the, the one thing I take solace in is I think is it a, is a lawyer attribute. I think not only do people like me become lawyers, we are trained to be worse versions of ourselves because we're obsessed with explaining every nuance to our point and (laughs) bolstering each nuance to infinity. So I am sorry that I am like this. And I'm sorry that there's probably times where you just wish I would stop talking, (laughs) but I'm aware of the problem. And I guess the point of a podcast is to talk. And if people find it interesting, they can listen. And if not, they don't have to. So that's why we need a second podcast. We need flavors. And this one is the James Wiseman flavor. And that's perfectly fine. Hopefully we're doing our jobs and that people are still learning things. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Ryan. And we will talk to everybody next time. Check us out at clockerconnor.com. Go teach someone to freestyle this week. Just go do that. If you made it an hour and 50 minutes in this podcast, just teach someone how to delay. Just sit them down and say, give me 30 minutes of your life and I will give you a new skill. (sighs) Change the world. Okay. Well, talk to everybody next time. Thanks.